It's football season. Time for the Gridiron Breakdown. Your host, RJ. Well, when was the last time 80,000 people showed up to see if you're doing chemistry experiments? Alan. You play football like Engineero played football. Let's get to the breakdown. It's time for the Gridiron Breakdown Show, the college football podcast, where we get you ready for the top games each weekend, talking about the X's and O's and the matchups that matter most. I'm Jay, and alongside me, my main man, Alan. What's going on, dude, as we head into week seven? I'm not much, Jay. Week six was a very exciting week. You had some big games, some um, few unexpected results there, but overall it was a great week. I mean, I, I think, you know, the game of the week was that Florida-Auburn game in which the Florida defense was really able to handle what Auburn could throw at it offensively, and they were able to muster just enough points to be able to pull off a, a big home win for Dan Mullen and the Gators. Oh, yeah, man, massive win. That defense dismantled Auburn's offense, and, and that's what matters. I mean, Auburn they can only look at themselves and say, look, we've we got a defense that forced four turnovers here. We had the ball inside the 20. How many times we walked away with you know six points? So, I mean, they – they just couldn't get it done, but that's a big win for Florida. We're going to be talking about them in our featured games this week because they got another big one. But elsewhere in the SEC, I mean, Georgia got a little sting from a pesky Tennessee team. They made a little change at quarterback and seemed to spark them for a bit. But as Georgia tends to do, their defense is lights out and their offense finally gets it rolling about midway through the second quarter and they you know blew right on past Tennessee. Yeah, and on the other hand, SMU was somehow – able to find a win and move to 6-0 and for the first time, Jay, since 1982. I wasn't even alive then. <laughs> I guess that was during the Pony Excess days. I believe it was, yeah. And look, give it up to Sonny Dykes and Rhett Lashley down there getting it done. They took Tulsa into overtime after one of the goofiest ways you'll ever see a team score a touchdown on a kickoff. Go Google that if you want to have some fun this week. Uh, but they got it done, so hats off to SMU. Oh, moving over to the Big Ten real quick before we talk about the big game from last week. How in the world is Minnesota undefeated? I don't think they even know. Jay, P.J. Fleck and company has just found a way to scrape and claw victories in some of the most ludicrous ways I've ever seen at the end of games. Going to overtime, having to beat South Dakota State, who's a good uh, Division II team, but, you know, or FCS, I'm sorry, I'm stuck in the 90s, I guess. Um <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, they're getting it done. They got a pretty uh, decent game against Nebraska, who's probably the best team they face. But, Jay, you know, it doesn't matter how you get it done. If you keep winning them, that's all that matters. Yeah, indeed. And I, I don't know how many more you know rows of the boat P.J. Fleck will have to do in Minnesota. He keeps winning like that. He might be able to upgrade his gig. We got to talk about Michigan, man. They, they took out Iowa on you. Uh, that messed up your danger zone again. But, I mean, who can blame you, dude? I texted you the score in the middle of the first quarter. I had no idea that would be the final score. Well, Jay, I figured it out. Apparently in Michigan, it's against the law to play offense in the entire state. And Iowa, being the upstanding citizens they were, had to oblige and follow state laws. I guess so, because they just were turnover machine city. And as you said, Michigan State also does not play offense, and that did not go well against Ohio State. Though they, you know, they gave Ohio State some fits for a little bit, but Ohio State finally realized, man, if we'll just run Justin Fields, they can't tackle him, and they indeed could not. Yeah, I mean, Michigan State was salty there for about a quarter, and it was kind of what we thought would happen, that that defense would come out and play well at first, but Ohio State would wear them down. And with that offense not being able to do anything against that Buckeyes front, um, it, it got pretty ugly. Not as ugly as I thought it would. Um, I think Ryan Day called off the dogs, but uh, the Buckeyes are definitely playing great football right now. 
Oh, dude, they're playing amazing football. They may be the best team in the country all around. I mean, I, I I'm not ready to completely say that at this point, but they are certainly getting it done on that side of the ball. Let, let's talk about the whack packy 12 for a minute, man, and just how strange things are out there. So Oregon let Cal give them a game for a lot longer than they should have. And I'm, I'm worried now that Oregon is going to find a way to lose and it's going to be lights out for the playoff hopes of the Pac-12. Yeah, I mean, it appears that there's so much parity, and it's maybe the most competitive conference in all of college football right now. Um, you know, Washington somehow finds a way to lose to Stanford, who had looked lifeless for weeks. You know, Cal has a really great defense. Their offense is somewhat questionable, but Oregon let them hang around before they kind of took care of business, uh, you know. You, you got Arizona State playing defense, but no offense down in the south. You, uh, Utah's not too far away from it. And, heck, Jay, if USC could just keep a quarterback healthy and not turn the ball over, they may be able to win the south. I know, man. There may be 10 teams in the Pac-12 that can make a bowl, oddly enough. I mean, and Oregon State, hats off. First road conference win in five years. So the Beavers are finally doing something right, but they're still not very good. So. No, they're not, but they're they're improving. I mean, there's no fantastic team out there, um, but there are a lot of decent teams. My problem, Jay, is what in the world is going on with Jacob Eason? One week he looks great, and the next week he looks like absolute garbage. Dude, I do not get that guy. He is Jekyll and Hyde all the way, and I'm beginning to think he's a lot more Hyde. Like, I, I really don't I don't get it. I don't know what's up with him. All the talent in the world. But, you know, I have learned this. Washington is terrible away from home. You get them out of uh, upper North uh, Pacific Northwest, and they just can't get it done, dude. I, I don't understand what their situation is there. Can we talk about ACC? You know how like the Lamberts is the home of the throwed roll. Well, the ACC is now the home of the almost blown lead because two weeks in a row, Pitt has blown a twenty-something point lead, but they found a way to win. They beat Duke somehow, and Virginia Tech tried to give a game away to Miami last week, being up twenty-eight to nothing. Yeah, I mean, Miami really should have won that game after just turning the ball over, getting down four touchdowns. Uh, they made a go of it, but came up short. You know, it's just wacky what's going on over there, Jay. And we, we have to mention that Wake Forest is undefeated. Um, I know. We, when the team that is a part of your league for, like, the GPA boost, this is like if Vanderbilt was 6-0. and Like, I'm not kidding, and that's no slide to Wake. I mean, just seriously, though, like, that is weird. Wake is, might I mean, play Clemson for the ACC championship. <laughs> yeah, and they have as good a shot as anybody. I think it's between them and Virginia right now, Jay. I mean, I remember when we used to joke that, remember at the beginning of the breakdown, Vanderbilt and Wake Forest played, and we joked that they were going to have a brain surgery competition at halftime. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, and it might have been more entertaining. So, But, wow, yeah, they're getting it done. Out in the uh, good old Big 12, I mean, hey, Jalen Hurts faced a little bit of competition from Kansas for half a minute before they finally woke up and, and blew past him. That dude's numbers are nuts. And Bill Conley from ESPN put out a graphic today. You can search his Twitter account. He put out Jalen Hurts's quarterback rating by like region where he's throwing the ball. And it's like littered with hundreds and 99s all over the place. The dude is just putting up crazy numbers. Yeah, and Texas uh, let, let West Virginia give them a game for much longer than everybody did. I think Oklahoma and Texas were probably looking ahead to one of the future games we're going to talk about this week, Jay. 
Uh, I think they had something else on their mind and let some lesser opponents hang with them longer than they should have. Yeah, and WVU, again, got a good coach in Neil Brown, but they're just not quite ready to hang with that yet. So as a look back at the week six, let's talk about records updates. We are finally tied. After all this time, we are both 42-21. and 21. I went 7-2 and two last week. You went 6-3. and three. The difference was I picked Florida over Auburn. You picked Auburn. And, uh, yeah, so we are finally tied in the overall records. All because I trusted Gus Malzahn. I told you. I went you. against my better judgment. I should have listened to you. But I have learned the error of my ways. In, indeed. And, look, again, Danger Zone 2-5, and five, but, I mean, nobody can blame you for what happened. No, You didn't know offense would not exist in the Iowa-Michigan game. Like, we, we had no idea that was going to happen. Now uh, it appears that Ann Arbor is the middle of the twilight zone right now as far as offense is concerned. Uh, but you know what, Joe? We're going to try to get it on track this week. I haven't had a winner in several weeks. I need one badly. <laughs> yes, it is time to get one. We'll get to that in a little while, man. we got some featured games. we got four featured games this week because week seven is packed, man. There's some good stuff, and let's get it kicked off with the Red River Showdown, the rivalry that continues to change its name. It's kind of like Jefferson Airplane and then Airplane and then Jefferson Starship and Starship. I don't know what they are now, but Oklahoma's playing Texas, and the funniest thing I've read this week about this one was they asked Jalen Hurts how he was going to handle the pressure of the Oklahoma-Texas game, and he kind of side-eyed the reporter and was like, man, I played in the Iron Bowl. Like, please. So anyway, um, what do you think about the Oklahoma versus Texas annual matchup? Well, you know, Jay, this is one of the great scenes in all of college football. Uh, You have uh, Oklahoma and Texas playing at the old Cotton Bowl in Dallas while the Texas State Fair is going on. Uh, Both teams come in with high-flying offenses. And for Oklahoma, let's face it, it begins and ends with Jalen Hurts. He leads the Sooners in passing and rushing. He has over 2,000 yards total and 21 touchdowns, Jay, and the guy only has 27 incompletions so far. Uh, C.D. Lamb is a dynamic receiver who's averaging 24 yards a catch. (laughs) Every time the guy catches the ball, he makes it a quarter of the way down the field. He's got seven touchdowns. And, Jay, the Sooners are leading the nation at averaging 643 yards a game. I mean, Lincoln Riley has brought Jalen Hurts in and just kept the machine rolling. It's different than it was with Baker or with Kyler. There's more of a QB run aspect, but, man, they just tear it up. On the flip side, Sam Ellinger has had a really great start. He's thrown for over 1,500 yards. He has 17 touchdowns so far. And Devin Dunever, I'm never going to get that right, uh, is a catching machine. He's got 45 catches in five games. Dude is averaging nine catches a game. Texas has struggled to be balanced and run the ball. While they're averaging 175 yards on the ground, they don't have a tailback that's really fit to to carry the load. And Ellinger, uh, that falls on him a lot to pick up the slack on that run game. You know, Alex Grinch, the new Oklahoma defensive coordinator, has that defense, it's improved, Jay. They're 47th in total defense right now. And you say, well, 47th, that's not very good. Well, last year they were 101st, so that's a pretty good darn improvement. You know, the Texas defense, they has really struggled. They've given up over 30 points to the three power five opponents they played, including West Virginia last week. Uh, and not to mention they got torched by LSU in that newfangled offense they have down in Baton Rouge. The defense in this game, Jay, are both suspect. The offenses are the key. Um, you know, who's going to make the most plays? Who has the more dynamic? And, you know, that to me, that leans toward LSU. C.D. Lamb really gives Oklahoma an edge. 
with just having that guy who can take it to the house on every play. Jalen Hurts can, can make things happen when the pocket breaks down. Um, you know, Jay, this is going to be an exciting game. 11 a.m. kick, so you get your day started earlier. And I think it lives up to its name as the Red River Shootout, Jay. Not rivalry, not showdown. The shootout. Texas doesn't have enough on defense to get it done. Oklahoma wins 48-38. to 38. All right, you like Oklahoma here. I can't disagree with anything you've said. I think you've given us a good breakdown. I think Jalen Hurts and Oklahoma are going to be too much. Early in this in the preseason, I thought maybe they and Texas will split this thing up. I, I don't know about that anymore. I think Oklahoma's good enough to sweep through. I think they win pretty big here too, and Jalen Hurts is the reason why. Just a just a stud football player. We go out to the Big Ten next, man, where Penn State is on the road. They're five and zero. They're undefeated in the conference at two and zero too, and they're going to be taking on the Iowa Hawkeyes. Coming off that loss at Michigan, I was trying to rebound a little bit, and man, this is going to be a matchup of two incredibly good defenses. I was giving up eight point eight points a, se- a game this season. I mean, Penn State's only given up seven point four, and I mean they've been you know keeping people held under points. The only time Penn State has been held under thirty five points was against Pitt. Back in early September, they won that one 17 to 10. Ever since then, man, I mean, they've been scoring points lights out against everybody. They kind of called the dogs off on Purdue last week. So I think it's going to be neat to watch that Penn State offense led by Clifford, the quarterback, who's super efficient, doesn't throw a lot of picks and all that kind of stuff. What he can do to distribute the, the ball to Brown and Heis, and Heimler and some of those other you know good players he's got across the field. They don't have that one stud go-to guy this year. They just got a lot of good players at Penn State. It's going to be neat watching him try try to work against this Iowa defense because, man, they are super physical up front, so it's really hard to run on them. And that's a key for Penn State. They average almost 200 yards on the ground a game. It keys their their pass game. It's a lot of play action. They don't get that run game going, Allen. It's going to be a problem for them. Now, for Iowa, again, they've got great defense. They need Nate Stanley to not have the turnovers he had last week against Michigan. Three picks cannot do that in this game. He's averaging 250 yards passing a game. That's not real stellar, but you know what? He's not turning the ball over a ton. Matter of fact, you take away those three turnovers, he hadn't had one all year until last Last week, and he's distributing the ball to Amir Smith Merced, that's his leading receiver. He's going to have to have a big game as well uh, to to give Iowa any chance in this game. Here's where I think it's going to be different for for the the difference in the game. Iowa hasn't played a team that's got explosiveness in its DNA the way Penn State does. They really can make big plays. I mean, they played Miami of Ohio, Rutgers, uh, Iowa State, MTSU, and Michigan. MTSU is an explosive team, but they didn't really match it well against Iowa. Um, they haven't seen any team as fast as Penn State, and I think that's going to be the difference in this one. I really like the Hawkeyes. I think they're great. And looking, Kinnick Stadium at home, that's a very tough place to play. But I think Penn State is built to be able to answer that challenge. I think Penn State may be a dark horse team in the Big Ten, and they get a big statement win this weekend. I don't think they blow them out, but I like Penn State in this one, 27-17 over Iowa. You know, Jay, you've laid it out pretty good there. I will say this. Kinnick Stadium in Iowa City is a funky place to play with the pink locker room. And, And, you know, Penn State has looked phenomenal so far. But you know what? Iowa likes to muck games up. I think they're going to slow this down, muck it up, make it ugly. I think they get the win at home at Kinnick Stadium, 24-20. to 20. 
All right, so we disagree here. You like Iowa over Penn State. I'm going with the Nittany Lions, much to the chagrin of our friends over on the End of the Script podcast, Vinny and Matt. All right, so we're going out way out west for this next one, Alan. We're going to do a whack game. Not a whack game, a Mountain West game. It should be a whack game. I wish the whack still exists in football because we've got a whack powerhouse, Hawaii, on the mainland again, taking on the Mountain West darling, the original G5, darling, uh, of the world. Take a second seat, UCF. We're talking about the Boise State Broncos. Hawaii's in town to play them. Alan, break this one down for us. You know, Jay, I'm really excited about this game. Um, The Mountain West has been pretty good this year, and, you know, Hawaii has played very well so far. You know, when when you look at Hawaii, you know, it kind of starts with a couple of things. Hawaii with Nick Rolovich, they get it done through the air with Cole McDonald has over 1600 yards and a 70% completions to go along with 17 touchdowns, Jay, but the guy has thrown nine interceptions so far. And when they're on offense, you got to look for Cedric bird. The second, you got to keep an eye on this guy, Jay. He's got 40 catches already for 500 yards and nine touchdowns. He has been electric and dynamic. You know, on the flip side, you know, at quarterback for Boise, you got freshman Hank Backmeyer, who's having a pretty decent season. He's got over 1,500 yards, but only has eight touchdowns. Uh, and Boise, where, where they make their bread and butter is on the ground. George Hallman and Robert Mahomes both have over 300 yards and average over five yards a carry. Uh, they've really been, you know, Boise's not flashy. They're going to run the ball. They're going to make timely completions. They're, they're going to really kind of – try to slow this game down and really kind of stymie Hawaii's chances on offense. Um, You know, this was an interesting stat. You know, Boise has a pretty tough tough defense, um, and Hawaii's defense has been okay, but, Jay, those turnovers has killed them. They get put in bad positions with short fields and really end up giving up a lot of points. But in 31 years of Boise State football, they've only lost 37 home games. It is a tough, tough trip to the Northwest. And the the real question is, you know, in my mind, this is the Mountain West game of the year um, on the Smurf turf up there. And the question is, can Hawaii limit the turnovers and find just enough defense to slow it down? You know, they look really good in a kind of an adverse weather situation in Nevada two weeks ago where they really just, you know, whipped Nevada you know, I, I think Boise has too much defense. I think McDonald turns the ball over too much. And Boise's tough, tough out at home. I like Boise in a really competitive game, 37-31. to 31. All right, Boise State getting it done, 37-31. I'll tell you, man, that's a great pick. And I think you're right. But here's the thing I've seen about Boise that makes me think Hawaii can get it done. You can throw on them. And if you can limit the turnovers, and Hawaii's gotten better at that. You're right. McDonald threw a lot of picks early on, but he's stopped that now. He's kind of you know stemmed the the dam leak in a little bit. If Hawaii can go in there and be super accurate and just keep the pressure on Boise, Boise takes a little bit to get their offense rolling. And they gotta put a little pressure on Bachmeyer. They gotta force him into mistakes. I said it before, and I'm sticking with it. I'm not picking against Hawaii on the road. They've, they've beaten two teams in the mainland already this year. I think they get their third pelt. I'm going with the Rainbow Warriors in this one. I'm going to give it to them 31-27 to 27 over Boise State. I think they knock off the Murder Smurfs in Boise, Idaho. 
Jay, let, let's be honest. Are you just picking Hawaii because you're afraid that uh, Nick Rolovich will revoke your Hawaii fan card? <laughs> I mean, he might tweet at me. I don't know. That would be kind of cool if he did. But, no, I, I honestly think they can get it done. It's going to be fun stuff. I, I really think they can get it done. But that's going to be a fun game to watch. That's definitely one to tune in for. You want to watch some fun football and not have to worry about like the stakes involved, like your team's doing this or that. Watch Boise and Hawaii uh, this weekend. So we're less, down to our last featured game of the weekend. And man, it's the big one again. It's the SEC. You're not trying to be homers here, but let's be honest, it's the biggest game. Florida on the road, undefeated now, taking on the undefeated LSU Tigers in Baton Rouge. Look, man, what a weird year this is, right? Florida has this lights-out defense that puts pressure on you from all over the place. You can't run on them. They sack you. They turn you over. I mean, nobody's been able to really move the ball on them. They've just shut down offense after offense. And granted, they ain't played some great ones, but they've taken care of business in those games like they're supposed to. Um, now, people will go, hey, Lou, what about the Kentucky game? Hey, man, they lost their starting quarterback that game. Trask had to come in. It was a lot of weird stuff. Since he's come in, though, man, they are so much more efficient on offense. They really are. I mean, they blew out Tennessee. They took care of business against Towson. And then they took care of Auburn by being smart with the football and not doing dumb stuff. Auburn's defense is awesome. So forcing four turnovers, not in the, you know, surprising stat, but they took care of business and got that one done last week. And I think that's big for them because they're going to need all the confidence they've got going against this LSU team. What's weird about this is they're not going to be facing what I would call the classic LSU defense. Honestly, Florida has what I would you're used to seeing from LSU's defense. Um, LSU's defense this year, they're not bad. They're just not great. I mean, Texas threw the ball all over them, okay? But other teams have moved on them, too. I mean, Vandy is not a good offensive team, and they scored 38 points on these dudes, right? Now, they did something last week. I thought Utah State might be able to score a few points on them the last time they played. Nah, they completely shut out Utah State. Did a good job with that, but they're supposed to. So I'm not going to give them too much credit for that. Here's the thing, though, man. LSU's offense is absolutely lights out. 416 yards passing a game. Am I talking about Hawaii or am I talking about LSU, Allen? It sounds so weird to say, but Joe Burrow, 81% completions, man. 1,800 yards plus, 22 touchdowns, only three picks. Right? And look, Justin Jefferson's his favorite receiver. Seven TDs, over 500 yards receiving. He can take it to the house any chance he gets it. It's going to be a steep task for Florida to be able to handle that that offense. But here's the thing. LSU has not played a single team that can pressure them the way Florida is going to. We don't know what Joe Burrow is going to look like when he gets pressured because we haven't seen it this year. But I did see it last year. And last year, he got inaccurate, and he threw bad passes, and his guys couldn't get in rhythm. Something tells me this is a weird game where LSU thinks, hey, we can just go score a bunch of points, and Florida's not going to be able to catch us. And let's be honest, if LSU wants to turn this into a track meet, Florida ain't going to be able to keep up. Trask is good, he ain't that good, and Florida really didn't have a great run game this year. They're going to have to get it done through the air. But I think Florida special teams is really good. And they're going to be able to flip the field on these guys. I'm picking the upset here, Alan. I'm calling now. I think Florida's defense finds a way to get a turnover, maybe a score. They find a way to get it done. I'm picking Florida 28-27 over LSU in Red Stick. Wow, I'm kind of shocked by that. Um, Nothing would make me happier than for LSU to pick up a loss. Um, Jay, here's my thing. I agree with you that LSU has not seen a defense like this, that Florida gets after the passer, and that Burrow has been inaccurate. But the turnovers, 
that Florida's committed are a little concerning. Trask has some issues, especially when he's pressured to be able to hold on to the ball. LSU's getting some linebackers and defensive ends healthy for this game. I think it's a good game. I think it's a good exciting game. And it would not surprise me if Florida won because funky things happen in this rivalry if you go back over the years. But a night game in Baton Rouge. Um, give me LSU in a really competitive game, 31 to 27. All right. So we disagree on this one. You're taking LSU. Definitely the smarter pick. No argument there. I'm going out on the limb, but I think Florida gets it done in an upset. So Alan, it's time for the lightning round. Now we got a little bit of everything in this one and let's stick with the SEC. couple teams coming off the bye week, Alabama going out to college station to take on Texas A&M. I always make you go first on these. So I'll go first on this one. Uh, look, Alabama can win this game by 30 points and learn absolutely nothing about itself. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen. I think they blow Texas A&M out. I'm picking Bama big. A&M has been real Jekyll and Hyde, and they've kind of struggled against the better teams on their their, their schedule. And here's the thing. A&M struggled covering Auburn's receivers, but Nick's just couldn't hit pay dirt. Tua will pick them apart. The Alabama defense is still suspect, so I imagine Mond will have, have a field day run. And I like Alabama 45-20. to 20. All right, we go to the Big Ten next. Michigan State on the road to take on those pesky Badgers of Wisconsin. Well, Jay, you know, uh, in my mind, if you like offense, you may not want to watch this game. Uh, This is what I consider the Josh Hathaway special, a tip to the hat to our good friend there. Uh, Now, I know people say Wisconsin can throw the ball and they can run the ball with Taylor, but if you go back and watch that Northwestern game, Northwestern was really able to muck that game up and find a way to keep it closer than it should have been. Uh, I think Jonathan Taylor and that that great defense is the difference. I think Michigan State will give them a go for about two quarters. I like Wisconsin 28-10. to 10. I like Wisconsin here, too. I think Jonathan Taylor and that offense are going to be too much, but it is going to be close. I like Wisconsin 24-7 to 7 in this one. We go out west, Washington, on the road again to take on the Arizona Wildcats. Look, Arizona has got something going on offense. They, you know, they took that loss from Hawaii and really turned around the season, and I just don't trust Washington away from home anymore, dude. Give me Arizona to win this one. I think it's a bit of a shootout, but I'll take Arizona here 34-31. You know, Jay, I, I kind of have the same mindset on this game. Arizona's really turned it around. But, Jay, I also have that rule that you don't trust Kevin Sumlin. And as much as I don't like Washington on the road, I don't trust Kevin Sumlin. I take Washington 28-24. Well, we go to the ACC in a game that you know should be better than it's going to be, but it probably won't. Florida State on the road to take on Clemson. Yeah, Jay, I mean, you remember when this used to be the ACC game of the year? And FSU may be the only team in the ACC with talent even close to Clemson. But the last time these teams played, Clemson absolutely drubbed FSU 59-10 to in Tallahassee. This game may be closer because Clemson isn't as polished as it was last year. I still like them to win 38-17. to Yeah, I don't think Clemson's as good as they used to be, but they're way better than Florida State. The Willie Taggart goodbye tour begins again. Clemson wins big in this one. I'll say uh, they get it done 35-14. to We'll stay in the ACC. Louisville and improving squads on the road against that undefeated Wake Forest team. Man, I don't know. I kind of wonder, could this be the game Louisville could get them and maybe Wake Falls? But Louisville's so beat up and got so many injuries, I just don't see it happening. I'm going to stick with the Demon Deacons here and say Wake gets it done. You know, Louisville has been improving, but those injuries have taken their toll. Uh, you know, I think that 
Jamie Newman is playing smart, effective ball at quarterback for Wake. That defense isn't up to normal Wake standards, but I'll take the home team 27 to 20. All right, we'll go out to the Big Ten next. Another undefeated team, Minnesota's got to take home. Nebraska, the Cornhuskers of Scott Frost in town. Is this weekend that the boat sinks? Um, well, if you look at the Minnesota schedule, it probably should. I mean, P.J. Fleck has that team at 5-0, and and I don't think anybody in America thought that. Tanner Morgan, though, and Rodney Smith, their quarterback and running back, have really managed to pull things out at the last minute. Jay, it's going to be cold. It's going to be snowy in Minneapolis. I think this is an ugly, ugly old-school Big Ten game. I'll take Minnesota 24-23. to Yeah, I like Minnesota here too, man. I think it's even lower scoring than that. I like them getting this done like 17-13. Nebraska just turns the ball over way too much for me. So Minnesota gets another win. Uh, This was a much more interesting game when we put it on the schedule a while back before the quarterback decided to take a year off. Cincinnati's on the road at Houston. Look, since he's coming off a big win against UCF, they got to keep level now because they they took out UCF, but they've still got a lot to play for in the American. I like Cincinnati here better overall team, but it might get close and uncomfortable for a little bit because Dana Holgerson's known to do that, but since he's just the overall better team here, they get it done against the Cougs. Yeah, I mean, this was exciting until Houston, I guess, packed it in and their quarterback redshirted. Um, you know, since he's coming off a big win, it's going to be real important for them to kind of stay level-headed in this. I think they come out sluggish, but that defense is really good. I like them to win 27-14. to 14. And now for the last one, we go to the Big 12, Iowa State. On the road, all the way across the country in Morgantown to take on West Virginia. Ah, what do you think, Alan? Well, first off, these are the two like funkiest road trips in all those Big 12, Ames, Iowa, and Morgantown, West Virginia. You know, West Virginia gave Texas a game for, for a while, but that offense isn't quite there yet. I think Brock Purdy and... Iowa State are just a little better. Not much, but just a touch. I like Iowa State 34 to 27. You know, man, I agree with you. Brock Purdy's a better player, but this is a weird road game, and Iowa State's just been too inconsistent, man. I think this long road trip gets them. I'm going to give it to Neil Brown and the Mountaineers. I think West Virginia gets it done. They sneak away a win. I'm going to say they get it 29-27 on some weird, funky play at the end. Uh, Alan, it's time, man, to get the engines lit up, get the targeting system back right, go by that tower, and take us to the danger zone. It's been a rough danger zone so far. Uh, I am going to give everybody a free danger zone pick, so I'm really giving you like 1.25 danger zone picks. I'm not sure sure how early they let people drink in Vegas, but somehow Miami's a one-point favorite over Virginia. Be smart. Take Virginia in that. You know, uh, they shouldn't let people make odds while they're finishing off a bender. (laughs) Now, for the real danger zone, Joe, we're going to go to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where the 5-0 Memphis Tigers come to town to play the Temple Owls. Temple's been incredibly a defensive team, uh, and and they're going up against a really balanced and fantastic offense, Jay. I don't know if you know this, the running back Kenneth Galloway for for Memphis, he's an absolute beast. Uh, He's averaging 8.2 yards a carry. And we're not talking about, oh, he carried the ball 20 times. The dude's carried the ball like 65 times. He is a beast. He is electric. 
But Temple just finds a way to grind the game down, to make it ugly. I, I think they're able to slow the, the running game, get enough defensive pressure, force some turnovers for a big conference win for Temple, 28-24 over Memphis. Wow, Temple over Memphis. I like it, man. And then the Freewood Virginia over Miami. Man, I that's a weird game, Virginia-Miami. I'm glad we didn't have to try to pick that one. I don't know how I would go on that, but uh, it should be fun in the American. Man, it's a good weekend of football for Week 7 here, and I'm excited to get into it and see how it all shakes out myself, man. Lots of fun stuff out there. Yeah, you you better pack up on the good football this weekend because next week the pickings are kind of slim, guys. Yeah, we'll we'll manage to find some games to talk about, but it's not looking good. Yeah, we're gonna have a little time talking some Heisman. We may we may break out bowl projections next week, but who knows? But until then, man, we got a great week seven, and we thank folks here for joining us on the Gridiron Breakdown Show. If you go to Anchor.fm/slash/GridironBreakdown, you can find links to where you can download the podcast. Obviously, please share those with folks on social media. We appreciate the support. You can catch up with us on Facebook as well. Just search for the Gridiron Breakdown Show, and you'll find us there. So until next time, for Alan, I'm Jay. You've been listening to the Gridiron Breakdown. Thank you for listening to the Gridiron Breakdown. The Gridiron Breakdown theme is Sports Time Tonight by Phil Gerard, Reed Hayes, and Scott P. Shear. Tune in next week for more analysis and opinion from our hosts. I ain't saying anybody scared out there. I ain't saying fear. Now y'all scared to ask another question? <laughs>